Hello, thank you for joining us. It's another episode of Friendly Reminder. It's your weekly friendly reminder of what's going on around the world, in our lives, and every place in between. My name is Gus, and I'll be your host today. Joining me as always, I have Daniel. Daniel, how are you today? Good, Gus. How are you doing? Pretty good. I messed up the intro. I, it's, it's everything in between. Oh, oh well. <laughs> Practice makes perfect. Uh, Sam, you're here too. How are you today? Yay, I'm here. I'm doing good. Good to hear. Guys, it's been kind of a... Mm, mm, been a mixed bag of a week uh, last week for me. I don't know about you guys. Uh, some good things, some bad things. Let's talk about all of it here today. Um, let's get started with... Probably the biggest um, um, news event uh, of last week. This last, I believe last Saturday, the Senate passed the $1.9 trillion package. Um, it, it passed uh, just with Democrats voting for it. For 50 Democrats voted in favor. 49 Republicans voted against it, uh, against it. I think one Republican, one of the Alaskan Republicans, had to leave the Senate, attend to some emergency, so he wasn't there to vote, which they didn't need Kamala Harris. So it passed via bill recon budget reconciliation uh, with 50 votes. Um, but it took quite a journey to get there. A couple of things were, were dropped along the way. Um, obviously, we, we had previously talked about the $15 minimum wage uh, not being a part of uh, budget reconciliation because the, uh, the Senate parliamentarian deemed that it wasn't part of the uh, budget process. Uh, they actually held a separate vote. Um, Bert, to try didn't to Bernie move? He moved to have no. it attached, right? Yeah, he, he moved to have... Floor vote. Yeah, he moved to have it attached through regular order, which we knew it wasn't going to pass because it wasn't going to get 60 or 10 Republican senators to, to vote for it. But even that eight Democratic uh, senators voted against it, uh, including uh, Kristen Sinema, who did a very, um, what's it called, animated uh, thumbs down uh, uh, vote uh, to, to uh, vote uh, against them. John McCain. Yeah, a little bit of a John McCain meets uh, punkish. I circa 2000 yeah <laughs> circa 2000 i, I don't know so much uh, did some awful. other senators do a thumbs down like a joint thumbs down thing i'm not sure why this is a thing now i guess is it to demonstrate your moderate credentials like what is this like they're just they're strip they're stripping parts out of the bill that are popular uh not not these guys I don't think strip part, but they there were other things that were stripped out of the bill, not stripped, but they were they were modified in some ways that weren't like necessarily they did not. And we can talk about the bill as a whole, which I think is a huge success when you look at mm -hmm. it as a whole. But then there were these little things where it's like, why are the moderates doing this? It's almost like they don't want they're like a, attacking things that Democrats ran on or or refusing yeah. to fight for things that Biden ran on. Yeah. And then. Well, let's let's kind of just talk about those things because I think it's three major things. Obviously, the minimum wage um, did not go through, and there, there's not even enough support within the Democratic Party to to pass it, at least via budget reconciliation. Uh, the other major change was for in regards to the stimulus checks uh, for quicker phase outs. They still kept the seventy five thousand uh, dollar. 
uh, ceiling for it to start phasing out. But it phase in this bill, it phases out completely at those that make uh, those individuals that make eighty thousand or more, uh, which is quite a bit sooner than the previous bill, which I believe the phase out was at 100,000. Um, and uh, same for uh, joint filers, it, it's a faster phase out. I don't know if this is accurate, so I don't wanna be quoted at um, on it, but I have seen the number that about 17 million Americans uh, will not receive a, a stimulus check in, in this bill compared to the other bills. Uh, however, I do wanna emphasize that in this, one of the differences about this bill compared to the previous stimulus bills is that dependents do get are going to get a check or some de uh, eligible dependents, which was not the case in the previous stimulus bill. So I don't know what the actual net amount is, but we are looking at the possibility even then that less Americans are going to get fewer, or less Americans are going to get uh, stimulus checks compared to the previous bills. This was largely kind of backed by Mansion. Um, I think Cinema also uh, backed a quicker phase out. Um, so this was one of the compromises uh i from what i understand what it ultimately saved is about 10 billion dollars which in the grand scheme of things it's not that much money and in fact it's not apparently it's they're just pocketing the savings because it wasn't even um, enough to go into like the un extending the unemployment benefits for instance so yeah i was gonna say um it just seemed like such a pointless cut i don't really know why they're doing it and I get, look, in principle, I have no objections to any of these kind of cuts. I don't care if there's a quicker phase out. Maybe you can make the argument that certain people in the middle class don't, um, you know, they don't necessarily up in the up, you know, I don't know, $80,000, what, whatever it is, you, you, they don't necessarily need this stimulus check, but it just seems totally unnecessary. It's no savings. All you're doing is antagonizing a certain percentage of people who received checks under the old, from Trump, but aren't going to receive checks necessarily unless they, like we said, fall under the child tax credit, which is very extensive. And I will say, to the extent that there's a trade-off, which, again, I don't think there needed to be a trade-off. I think it's artificial, but to the extent there is a trade-off, I think the child tax credit makes this much more um, progressive in the sense that it targets uh, the lower uh class is that yeah the lower and lower middle class more than the previous stimulus bill mm -hmm. does yeah much as more. as yeah as a whole really the, this bill is really more um focused <coughs> on um those lower income lower wage uh um you know, uh, working Americans, um, even without the the fifteen dollar minimum wage. Um, the other, I did want to mention though, the other compromise that they had to make, which is significant, is reducing the uh, unemployment uh, benefits to three hundred dollars a week from the initial proposed four hundred dollars a week. Um, three hundred dollars a week is what it is currently, uh, but obviously it's lower than the $400 a week that was originally proposed by Biden um, and significantly lower uh, than the $600 a week that was uh, put in in the CARES Act for um, back, back in April of last year, whenever, whenever that passed. It was only for four months. This one does go until um, the beginning of September. So I believe it's a six month time frame. Um, it's also uh, tax free for about the initial $10,600. So that's another benefit, but still another, uh, another significant compromise that really um, 
angered a lot of progressives and a lot of leftists. And again, basically on the back of of mansions, King King Mansions de- demands that uh, the Democrats had to meet to to reach to this um, um, to this bill uh, actually passing. There were, but there it were a did. Couple of, uh, there were a couple of other little compromises, I think, along the way too. There was. I saw one that was they changed the language in the bill. So one of the things, so I wanted to talk about the child tax credit because it is incredibly generous. It's like something like 2,000 per year per child or 3,000. It's more than that. Okay. It's 3,600 for, um, I believe, ages zero to six and then 3,000 for like seven to 17 or something like that. Somewhere around that ballpark. It's very significant. And I'll talk about a couple of things that I found interesting about it. Um, and that is one, it does not work like uh, welfare did in the before it was restructured uh, back in the 90s, uh, which is uh, it does not sort of go away when you go uh, back to work. So one of the problems with the way welfare was structured is it's very insidious, actually, which is that if you went back to work, you started to lose your benefits. So you went back and you earned $20 and you would lose $12 from your Benefits, so you're actually making less money uh, than you would. You know, you were making more money overall, but less money from your job because you're getting a reduction in benefits. And then it even stacked. And if you had other benefits, you could actually lose more than you got back. So it, it, it trapped people in this weird cycle. And there's a lot of weird, dumb structural issues in the way that benefits are in this country. Um, that 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 was one of the issues with it. Now. When they reformed it, they made it much worse because they sent it to the states to do, and the states made cumbersome work requirements that are very annoying for lots of other reasons. But that putting that aside, this this does not do that. There's a steep drop off for child tax credits that I believe. Do you, do you happen to know what it is? It's it's high. It's fairly high. I don't know the exact amount. Okay. Um, so, but anyway, it's not a gradual drop off. So there's the, there's the, not this like uh, anti. So you. So somebody can decide, well, I want to keep working and I want to keep earning money, but also my life is enriched by these credits and I'm able to, you know, do so much more and, and it enables me to do so much more. And um, or, you know, for if there are circumstances such that they are better off staying at home, even though they are dealing with not that much money, then, you know, that's another thing that that person is able to do. So I think it's, um, you know, I think it is going to enable people to do a lot more and it's going to be better off for children and i think society overall um now it is only a year long that is the one hitch so i think there is already buzz though about how it's going to be strange to sort of toss all these people back into poverty after a year or so yeah and biden has signaled that he is in favor of making it permanent um, I don't know if that's something that will be addressed by the time um, the this child tax credit uh, benefit ends um, sometime next year. But um, he has I, I mean, it, it it would seem horrible, right, like to, to have this for one year and then just be like, well, that's it. Yeah, I mean, that's that's. We cut child poverty in half for a year. And <laughs> now, we're to, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> now we're doubling it. Now we're doubling it. We did it. Congrats, guys. Um, yeah. It does. It does seem silly, but it seems silly enough that it might happen. But one of the good thing, you know, that was three butts in a row. But one of the good, good things about these kinds of programs, like uh, 
Medicare is once they kind of exist, they're kind of sticky and they're hard to get rid of. Um, that, you know, I mean, I, that being said, you know, we did have a system like this that was scrapped by Democrats <laughs> in the 90s. And, you know, it was a bipartisan effort. Um, and it was scrapped largely on the back of this cultural idea of uh, welfare queens. You know, the idea that these largely yeah. African-American undeserving people were getting getting by by <laughs> by having several babies and, and, you know, collecting, you know, what amounts to like $12,000 or something for like four kids, which is like not or you know i don't know that's that's kind of back of the envelope but it's like that's not kids are expensive <laughs> like that is like a ridiculous yeah. the idea that that's like the trade off that people are making is insane and um and very racist uh but uh you know it succeeded as an argument and this program was scrapped so who knows uh what will happen in the future i mean this is the cultural argument probably is not there to scrap it, but it, this the programming that existed before existed since the New Deal, um, but it got scrapped in the '90s by a bipartisan, yeah. you know, people. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think, uh, and maybe we can talk about the bill at large, but I think I would say, despite everything, that despite the compromises that were made and the fact that the $15 minimum wage was not included in this bill, and who knows if we can ever, when we can get that or how, uh, this still, to me, uh, signifies a change, a significant change for the Democratic Party. Um, because you're right, uh, Daniel, I mean, when, when you compare it to the 90s uh, during the Clinton era, uh, you know, there was the, the famous saying that the era of big government is over that Clinton mentioned in his State of the Union speech. Clinton said, and we, think, will, we will end welfare as you know, as we know it or something. That yeah. was He ran on that and then he said it. We have just ended well when he passed the, the bill. Yeah, and uh, there was a large, uh, you know, a large portion of the, of the '90s, early 2000s, where the Democrats were highly engaged in triangulation and looking into Social Security cuts and and making grand bargains with with the Republicans. Um, similarly, when when Obama took took office in 2009, um, he tried to work with uh, Republicans. He had 59 senators and even that Democratic senators, um, and eventually 60. So he had a supermajority. And even then, the stimulus bill under his watch was significantly smaller than than this one. And that's when, like, with Obama, we were hemorrhaging jobs the first couple of months. Uh, people, like, go back to those months. I think we were losing, like, 800,000 jobs a month uh, in, in the jobs report. We're actually getting somewhat positive jump, um, job numbers right now. So for... Uh, for the Democrats and for Joe Biden to actually get a $1.9 trillion bill uh, that gives $1,400 um, checks to uh, millions of Americans, even if it's, you know, they had to lower that number, uh, that provides these child tax credits, uh, that lowers uh, ACA premiums, um, that uh, puts in so much money in, infra uh, not infrastructure, in it, but it, uh, uh, relief to small businesses, restaurants, uh, money to schools money cities. to open up vaccination cities uh, local governments um i mean that's this is an enormous bill uh and it's it's enormous compared to even previous uh democratic presidents uh, um and 
and you know the only thing that's comparable to it is the cares act and that act had like about 500 billion going to major corporations uh this one seems largely focused on direct aid on just helping people and then after that helping small businesses helping local governments helping um hospitals and opening up vaccination centers and testing centers i don't know i mean i i think for them to get this done with 50 senators with Joe Manchin being kind of the deciding vote, and it's a $1.9 trillion bill. I think this is definitely a, a, a before and after moment for the Democratic Party. I mean, I don't think they're to, to go back to triangulation a year later would be a um, one, a mistake, but two, also doesn't it doesn't make sense in my head. I, I think this is this is they have at least recognized that, you know, with this majority, this is the path going forward, whether it's enough. I don't know. What do you guys think? Is it enough? Uh, is for, is for the midterms to hold for the midterms for their razor for the thin economy? margins? Yeah, for the economy, I think it is, or at least by by most traditional estimates, it it appears to be. Again, it is still very infuriating. Why why do they make these little cuts to just piss certain people off? Again, fine. Putting that aside, it is an enormously impactful bill. And there is no sense in which you can honestly say Democrats are the same as Republicans because nothing like the CARES Act was not this. This is not like looking at the way this impacted people. That is not they're not they are night and day. And keep in mind that Democrats voted for the CARES Act. Uh, yeah. Republicans did not vote for this bill um, by and large. So there, there's a stark difference on that front, too. And then. Um, but. You know, the Joe Biden ran on the minimum wage. Uh, he was very, you know, politicians are sometimes slippery with promises, but Joe Biden was very clear about running on the minimum wage. So I just I wonder if this is going to hurt Democrats in the midterms. I don't know. This coalition that they put together is kind of wacky. Um, so <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, the coalition, it, it's almost like a values voter coalition but the value the values are like this kind of not like wokeness but like yeah kind of almost like a wokeness not like strict wokeness but at least like a yeah you're not like a fucking bigot like those guys right that's what like hold this coalition together so you get like you know extremely rich <laughs> like the pmc class like very rich lawyers you know people in the suburbs rich People who don't necessarily are not aligned economically with any of this, right? Um, right. But then you also have a tremendous amount of African Americans whose whose um, politics range from, you know, within that range. I mean, as as by necessity, when you have you know ninety percent of the African Americans, you have the very conservative African Americans. Yeah. You have the very liberal African Americans, and whatever that means, you—they're all contained within this Democratic Party, this incredibly big coalition of, of you know. And it's hard to say what it stands for, but I can say what it what it seems to stand for now is a very uh, progressive economic uh, legislation and relief bill. So. Um, 
you know, as far as finding its identity, it's a good it's a good first step, I think. Um for 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 this to pass, and I I can't emphasize enough, um, uh, with a fifty vote or a fifty vote Senate majority, is significant. Um, I'm I'm old enough to remember where Lieberman single handedly killed the Medicare uh, buy in uh, expansion in the um, ob- during the whole Obamacare vote, uh, which already was kind of like a baby um, public option, like a public option for those that were 55 years or older. And he killed that. Um, so we went with the mandate only. Uh, that's a much, much larger compromise than, you know, even the even the phase outs, even the the the. Uh, Three hundred dollar unemployment uh, benefits. The the fifteen dollar minimum wage. Obviously, that's that's kind of the big big one, and and that is a significant blow. But Joe Biden proposed a one point nine trillion dollar bill, and he got a one point nine trillion dollar bill. Like ultimately, in the grand scheme of things, even though these things do hurt, the compromises that he had to make are far smaller than what Obama had to make with his stimulus bill and what he had to make with with the uh, health care bill as well. Um, I, I think there's some, you know, uh, we like to say, you know, Democrats in disarray. But to me, this was a, a, a show of unity, a show of like, yeah, we're largely here, like at least, you know, 90 percent of the way. <laughs> And then there's Joe <laughs> So, yeah, what I was going to say is that um, we talked about, well, I talked about this, I don't know if it was last week or the, or the last episode or the week, the episode before that, but I talked about how Democrats talk a lot and sometimes they don't do a lot. But I think also one of the big problems with Democrats is that if if an issue becomes popular no matter what the issue is democrats are going to try and get it done just like when they when um i don't know what the exact bill was or what the exact um issue was but when bill going back to bill clinton when he was president he like redid all of the was it something to do with like drug time or drug uh with uh, african americans he did something to make it harder for or e- uh, easier for African Americans to be in jail for longer periods of time, and even then, Democrats were for it. I don't know if you guys know what I'm talking about. Yeah, the 1996 crime bill. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for it too. <laughs> yeah. So I think if a, if if an issue becomes popular enough, the Democrats are going to do it, even if it's not really good. For our country. Or... <laughs> well, I mean, there that's is good, the... though. Well, it's good. I no, mean, that's what your representative I... institutions should do is the thing that's popular, you would think, right? Well, but... I mean, what wasn't popular when, especially when it passed, was Obamacare. Um, the, the the polling numbers for for the ACA was completely underwater. Um, they still passed it through, and they paid the price. But this one, at at least, even you know, I think Obamacare was was good. It was a good step forward. I think more needs to be done. But um, I'm glad they still passed it, even even with the negative uh, uh, polling opinion. But this one has the benefit of being highly popular. I think I've I've seen polling numbers somewhere around like the range of 76 percent of Americans support this uh, including a large number of republicans um so you know i again I, I i'm still very sour and pessimistic about the midterms but 
I think it's a positive sign that they at least got this done. I'm not sure what Joe Manchin's calculation is. Um, I mean, I think the minimum wage hike is very popular in his state, but hey, he is a Democratic senator who, by and large, votes for Democratic things, including this bill. Progressive Democratic things. He voted for the, I believe he voted, well, did he vote for the Equality Act? Well, we can talk about that in a second or, or maybe. But he, in a Trump-like plus 18 state, <laughs> he does all this. Oh, more. Trump, plus, yeah. plus 46. Yeah, it's like um, it's insane. I, I don't know how, like yeah, it's I don't insane. know how he does it. So maybe just like give him some space. <laughs> maybe. Whatever the hell he's doing happen, seems to be working. Whatever the hell he's doing. I don't know. Um, yeah, I mean, again, razor thin majority. Maybe if some of the Democrats had done better in North Carolina, uh, in Maine, um, in uh, what's what's another state that Montana, I think, um, South Carolina. Maybe if we had one there, uh, we'd be dealing with a fifty-two, fifty-three, maybe fifty-four majority, and we can get a uh, get some things in. But when we have to work with Joe Manchin, well, we have to work with Joe Manchin. He wins in West Virginia. What are you going to do? Like uh, again, I think I sincerely think Donald Trump won by forty six percent. There, that's insane. Is our does that show the limitations of this newfangled coalition? Which I a moment ago yeah. I called the woke coalition, which is I feel like a little dismissive. I feel like it's the coalition for it. The the very positive spin on it would be it's the coalition from sort of a multi-racial multi-ethnic democracy <laughs> like that's what it is um yeah. and the other side is you know white supremacist reactionaryism um yeah that is possibly an oversimplification but um joe biden won but you know democrats kind of got washed so what is this coalition? Does it have a chance? <laughs> like I feel like it's it's hanging on by its 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 you know just a razor thin margin. Like who are these people and and are they gonna are we gonna be able to get more votes? Like I, the one of the reasons I think the reason the polling was wrong, or at least one of the reasons the polling was wrong was one more Latinos and African Americans went over to Trump. Ma male Latinos and African Americans. Two there was a an even bigger boost of white uh, non-college educated uh, votes in these kind of Midwest states where uh, were kind of boosted by Trump coming out. So even though there was a bigger surge of sort of the suburbs for Biden, it was kind of a, a little bit washed out by the sort of somewhat lackluster support among La African-Americans and Latinos caused by this sort of... Uh, swing over to trump and maybe a little bit of lackluster support all of these things maybe mixed together i don't know what do you what do you think and it might have been it might have been more just lackluster support for the down ballot dems i feel like there's a lot of theories floating around but how how are we hold how are we going to hold this coalition together and possibly expand it or is it even possible i don't think it's going to be possible to hold it i mean the midterms are a year and three quarters away now. I the Republicans are going to come back, I believe, and I think it's going it's going to hurt us a lot. Uh, yeah, so probably um, uh, you have to look at it historically speaking. Um, midterms are usually 
pretty bad for for the uh, party in power. Um, I believe there's actually generally throughout American history there's been two exceptions where where the party in power holds. Um, both both chambers, one of which happened in 2001 when literally right after 9-11, just a couple of months after 9-11, uh, Republicans retained um, uh, power uh, or didn't lose seats anyways. Um, so most of the time, it's actually a bloodbath. It, it was a bloodbath in 2010 um, when Democrats lost the House. It was a bloodbath in 2018 when Republicans uh, lost the House. Um, I mean, if you look at through the lens of history, it's probably going to be bad. Uh, I think in terms of what what can the Democrats do, what uh, how do they have a chance? I think it's it's through this. It, it's through giving people direct aid. Um, it's to making these things uh, like the child tax credit permanent, uh, revisiting giving giving people uh, relief bills in, in the future. Maybe even when it, the the economy isn't necessarily doing awful, but it's just that these bills keep people flexibility. You know, uh, people that normally. Um, are used to just scraping paycheck by paycheck. They get a they get a, a check, and it, it helps them tremendously. It, it it increases their purchasing power in ways that they've never seen before. Uh, that's the only way. I, I think I think trying to make it so much uh, so much about social issues, and it's tough for me to say this because I think these these issues are important. I think defunding the police is important. Um, I think, or at least having a conversation about it is important. But I, I, I don't think those social issues are, are going to create anything but but wedge issues for, for Democrats. And I think they just need to focus on helping people out, economically speaking. So is the counter argument to that, that this this coalition for multi-ethnic democracy, dem democracy, multiracial democracy, I mean, do they really, I mean, a lot of these people are wealthy. So they're not going to see any impact from these bills directly. So they might, I mean, they, they, although, you know, there is very strong case to be made that they see the, the impact on, you know, their communities and, and, and just, you know, overall in their country that they live in. Right. So I think that's, that's fair, but, you know, I mean, do they care more about these woke issues? I mean, something's keeping, this stuff alive in in the sense that uh not and i don't want to be dismissive about it but i but i mean like it it didn't come from nowhere it is it does reflect the values of a lot of democratic voters and very very strongly <laughs> like and and i think fairly like and i think we are those voters like we don't want to bat no no one on this podcast is like yeah, it would be cool to backslide a little bit on trans rights in exchange for some economic... Like, who the fuck yeah. wants that? <laughs> yeah. And I don't think Democrats are, are really doing that. They did pass... You know, I think the House passed the Equality Act, which I think uh, was a very uh, powerful step in that direction. It banned... Uh, or it, it it's it's one step in the direction of banning discrimination based on gender identity and, and uh, mm -hmm. sexual orientation. Which is get one of those things where you're like that you can it that's still allowed like you can fire someone and yeah you can, um, but again, um, so I guess the answer is maybe Democrats are doing that or they're doing it in the way that's not like uh, performative. They're doing it in the substantive way, right? By passing the Equality Act. So maybe yeah. I just answered my own question. I don't know. I don't know. 
um i'm just wondering what holds this coalition together or helps us expand it and i feel like this economic bill seems i mean it's enormously popular so it's got to help a little bit (laughs) if anything helps it's got to help right um, right. Well, I, I mean, in terms of like, how does it ex- how how can we expand it? I think it is looking at those African American voters and Latino voters uh, that went to Trump. Um, I don't know if all of them can be won back because I'm not exactly sure what what led them to them. I, I've seen I've read a lot of articles that it was kind of the idea of, of personal responsibility, which look, Republicans are completely hypocritical when it comes to that, but they're very good at selling it. Um, they're very good at, at uh, you know, being like, we're the party where, that we're, you know, we're, we're going to do this on our own. We don't need the government to help us out. We believe in, in, in uh, individualism and, and, and people are will be uh, we're rewarded for their hard work uh, and that perhaps resonates with with uh, especially with more socially conservative uh, minority voters that have looked at the democratic party in the past and have said oh, they probably they really don't help us out that much in, in the long run at least not mu- as much as they say they do uh, and these kinds of things uh, it's again, like they're it, only slightly less racist than the republicans yeah <laughs> <laughs> What I think is going to happen is that in in 2022, I think the Republicans, the, the way they're going to win is they're going to call, you're going to bring back the old enemy of socialism. I think if the Child Tax Act becomes permanent, I think Republicans and, um, I mean, probably... Republicans don't really care about anybody. They just care about getting money, obviously. But they're they're going to try and win by saying that these aren't these aren't American things. They yeah. don't. Yeah, they just. I don't know. What I'm trying to say, but right, oh, yeah, socialism. They could run the. They could run the. Yeah, like a slight variation on the Bill Clinton or the you know the welfare queen thing. Well, not even that necessarily, but yeah, it's socialism. And that is one of the theories about what drove at least some of the Hispanic support away was anti-socialism. That's one of the theories that's thrown around, at least, you know, that that some people say it has an effect in Florida. Some people say it could be broader than that because there have been, you know, uh, violent communist regimes in other Latin American countries also, so... Whether it had an effect or not, it's hard to say with all this stuff sort of thrown in, but. Yeah, I I, I agree with that, Sam. I think that's probably a strategy that the Republicans are going to want to go uh, down. Um, uh, obviously, they're going to talk about austerity. They're going to talk, about, especially if the economy starts improving, um, it's going to be a lot of, well, we need to start looking at our budget or our deficit. Again, they're complete hypocrites about that. Um I think they need to do something. I I, I don't know. Like I, I've I've stopped predicting how the American electorate reacts. But to me, I actually feel like Republicans right now are a little bit off message. I, I don't. I think they did a poor job uh, uh, 
basically messaging uh, the uh, the response to this COVID relief bill because everything shows that it's extremely popular. Uh, it actually passed relatively smoothly compared to other bills, even though it, it felt like a long time. Um, it's it's a far cry from the damage that they were able to do to the ACA dur during that whole process uh, while, while the Democrats were, were trying to pass it, that it basically limped into existence. And, and by the time it was, it was a thing, it was incredibly unpopular and uh, unlike ACA you're going to see the benefits of this bill pretty much right away where where Obamacare took about 4 years to actually be implemented so that's those are the only kind of hopes that that I'm uh, kind of grabbing onto um again uh, it all has to come with with a booming economy it all has to come with with the virus being um controlled with vaccination efforts continuing to increase if, if all those things come to, together, then maybe they have a chance. But history says otherwise, so I'm not particularly optimistic. I just want to make one more point. I think that will that will be the opposite. In fact, <laughs> let's say that the they people more people are like eighty percent, eighty five percent people get vaccinated. The, the COVID virus or the COVID pandemic dies down, I think it'll be the Republicans who come out winning. It could because they, they, they can come out with the idea that it's time to party. Like it's time for <laughs> we're freedom. Like, <laughs> like it's time for, for everybody to kiss each other. They're already kind um, of doing that. They reopened Texas already. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We can talk about that. Um, and yeah, I, I definitely think that they're going to be quick on the gun to to celebrate all those things. And sometimes the opposite party gets rewarded for for <laughs> the things one party does. Um, Don't worry. Yeah, in six years, they'll bring us back to clean up the next mess. Yeah, uh, <laughs> we're going to be like in uh, two pandemics at once, hurricanes and and. Uh, drowning all of Houston, uh, forest fires all through California. Are we've lost? Uh, two million jobs in a month and it's time for a democrat to come in and fix it in six months otherwise he's out oh six months elizabeth warren mm -hmm. is probably gonna have like two and a half months to fix that or she's yeah. gonna lose the midterms she she inherited quite a budget crunch from president <laughs> trump um simpsons <laughs> reference all right guys let's let's uh... after trump's second term yeah <laughs> Uh, well, let's talk about COVID, actually, because um, we did get the news that Greg Abbott uh, announced that he is reopening 100% all of Texas. Um, we pre Last episode, we talked about the bang-up job he did with the Texas freeze. Apparently, he thinks that Americans haven't suffered enough because now he wants to open it up, uh, for, uh, open the state entirely 100%. Um, uh, also, he's doing away with the mask man, which... Look, that's just a culture war thing, right? Like, what what is the what is the economic benefit of, of getting rid rid of the mask mandate? It it doesn't affect jobs. It doesn't affect uh, you know. You could argue that reopening the entire state at least leads to more consumption, possibly more jobs. But the mask man mandate is just like stick it to the libs because they like masks type of thing, right? Like that's that's the point. Yeah. All of the uh, service workers, when they heard that, all groaned all at once because they have. They're on the front lines of dealing with uh, <laughs> the stupid jerks who don't want to wear masks and, and these business owners. And now they're all 
they have to figure out what to do without they don't even have the governor the governor to back them up anymore and they have to try to implement safety protocols if they feel that's what nece- what's necessary with these people saying like no i don't have to do it now governor says they don't have to do it so yeah that should be fun and then <laughs> sorry guys all i know is i will never wear a mask again yeah, yeah. stick it to Did the you see that video of those kids burning those masks that was creepy yeah like it was six like, year olds in idaho it was like <laughs> Under what circumstances do you think this is going to be a good image in like six months or like a year yeah. from now? Like, I'm going to be proud of this image. Um, but yeah, it's a stupid bullshit culture war issue. It's going to get people hurt. It's gonna it's gonna screw businesses over. Even big businesses, H E B, the biggest grocery store chain in Texas. It it was like that scene in The Simpsons where they're like, abortions for some, or what? What's the what's the joke? Because they they were like. No masks. And then everybody was like, boo. <laughs> and they were like, all right, masks now. They brought that mat. They like didn't, they weren't going to require customers to wear masks. And then I guess people flipped shit. And so now they are going to require everyone to ma- wear masks. But I assume in their more um, ex urban stores, they're probably going to be a little less selective about enforcing that stuff. I know around here, Everybody wore, even when the mask mandate wasn't in effect, everybody was still wearing masks in HEB. So I didn't, so I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I hear also, I, I think people have been pretty um, responsible with the mask wearing, but who knows what kind of issues. I mean, it's just dealing with the assholes, right? Because we've already gotten um, some examples, one out of Houston, where uh, employees were basically harassed for wearing masks. That's because the employees wore masks, not because they were making anybody else wear masks. Um, and they got harassed. They they were threatened with with having ice being called on them, even though it, it was in a Mexican restaurant. But it, there's no evidence that they were uh, immigrants of any sort, especially illegal immigrants. So I, I'm willing to bet most likely they were all american-born workers um and being harassed by racists uh that uh are mad at other people wearing masks and oh man i mean i still can't believe in uh, how we made this into such of like a wedge issue such such a division point in america just just wear just to wear masks to protect others like those employees are wearing a mask to protect you and you're harassing them out of some dumb cultural point because uh, you you were you were told that's the right thing to do. Not only that, dude, those employees could believe in this. They could f- be just as big Alex Jones fans and Infowars fans as you, but they're at their jobs. Yeah, <laughs> leave them alone. Yeah. <laughs> they have to wear masks. It's their job. Stop being a dick. And it's it's a concern, right? Because Look, there's a lot of good news when it comes to the COVID front. Um, it's we've seen cases go down, even though most recently, basically since mid February, they've they've kind of evened off around the six thousand six sixty thousand cases per day type of level, um, which is still high. It's it's still from what I've seen, it, it's basically the the summer spike that we got uh, is what we're seeing right now. We're just far more used to it. And and so even when we see 
some improvement, even if it's still high, we, we take it as good news. Um, but vaccinations have, have been on a, on a really good course. Uh, just uh, recently, it was reported that we, we met an all-time high of Americans vaccinated, of 2.9 million Americans vaccinated in a day, which we're getting significantly higher than that 1 million uh, Americans a day that Biden promised, which I it seems like he lowballed it on purpose just to exceed it. And fine. I mean, so long as he exceeds it, <laughs> I got no issue with that. Damn. Um, you, you, going yeah. super cynical right away. <laughs> I, I was about I to actually, say that I, all this good news about, and then you're like, yeah, whatever. He lowballed it. He totally did. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's a good political strategy. And and it's the results that matter, right? It's it's not just the promise. So if he's over-delivering, then good for him. Um, but this these type of things... And, I, I believe also the governor in either Missouri and Mississippi decided to open it up a hundred percent. But these kinds of things are just, it's like, get your deaths in while you still can, you know, cause we're about to resolve this. So let's kill a couple of thousand Americans more before, uh, before mean, this goes away. It's just so irresponsible. Not only that, but just think about all the, all the hospital, all the nurses, like they are working day and night to fight this and it's almost i don't want to say almost but it's it's on that trend where you know it, it we might be able to live maybe normally maybe normal but greg abbott is just he doesn't care he doesn't care no matter what and these no. people that are working to fight this thing are just exhausted from it. Like I work with people and they're just exhausted from fighting people or having to deal with, with patients that are, that have COVID. I mean, it's just nonstop. One time my whole hospital was, had pretty much all COVID patients. Just think about that. Yeah, this is a complete insult, um, and more than an insult, really. Like it's 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 actively being pro-virus and against healthcare workers. <laughs> it's you know, so like, silly, it's, but it's exactly. True. Yeah, it's it's like you're actively trying to get people infected again, but while you still can, you know, one one last sale uh, here. Um, it's you're you're hurting. Everything must go. Yeah, you're hurting healthcare workers. You're hurting uh, frontline workers. Um, you're hurting small businesses because they have to make these uh, their own decisions because they no longer have any kind of backing from any kind of government. Um, you're uh, you may potentially hurt the economy if this gets out of hand and and uh, uh, cases rise again. Even though we're so close, the whole thing about like I I from a psychological perspective i understood the art the frustration of like well i mean what are we gonna do are we just gonna stay home forever are, are we gonna um um just never go out when we didn't know when when the vaccine was gonna come around and when we didn't see a light at the end of the tunnel but we see it now we're getting the vaccinations uh we're we're getting to that point we you know it does look like we will hit that 300 million mark by may may is just around the corner just hold on for a little bit more like to open it up right now is just it man it's it's so it's so uh discouraging irresponsible disrespectful demeaning you know, it's everything. It's there's not one word that can describe this one this this massive insult to everybody. 
Agreed. And I, we can only hope for the best, you know. Um, again, hopefully people are just used to this and they know what to, what steps to take and they're going to be wearing masks. You're going to see assholes, but hopefully people, the people that are wearing masks, they're, they're not doing it anymore out of, out of a mandate. They're doing it because they know it's the right thing. Um, so hopefully we don't see that decreasing. Uh, again, just a few more months, folks. I know it, you know, and what I want to say, the last thing we want to see also is like a variant here in the United States that uh, perhaps is is a little bit more resistant to vaccinations. And then what happens if that comes around? And then, you know, this this uh, vaccination effort gets undermined because of that. Again, we don't have to do this. Any other thoughts regarding Texas reopening and COVID? It's been a year, guys, a year ago. Uh, almost to the day where I started working from home, uh, we all remember what it was like. I, you know, we talked about that in our in our 2020 year in review, what how we felt being sent home. Uh, a year later, COVID nineteen is still, still, still a threat, and we just got to remember that. Like I said, guys, a bunch of mix mixed news mixed feelings let's you know this is going to be our lighter topic but unfortunately it's we're, i'm not going to be able to shake away the feeling of of just just feeling a little bit of a mixed bag um i'm we we're going to talk about the second half really no let's let's just talk about the the entire show as a whole uh i'm referring to wandavision a couple of weeks ago we had a discussion about the first couple of episodes the first five episodes uh, now, uh, uh, as of last Friday, the show has ended. Uh, I think the entire series has ended. I don't. I don't think there's going to be a season two. Daniel, you've watched all, all the episodes. I've watched all the episodes. Uh, Sam, you haven't watched it, but it looks like you're okay with with the spoilers. And to our listeners, um, fair warning. We're going to talk about the end of WandaVision and the entire show. We're going to go into details. We're going to go into spoilers. So if you don't want to have that spoiled, go ahead and put pause uh, and stop listening to the episode now. And thank you for listening. So I have mixed feelings about the last episode of WandaVision. And if you guys want to talk or if you, Daddy, want to talk about the entire show as a whole, you're more than welcome to do it. I'm a little bit more focused on on the last episode itself. I sure yeah let's let's talk about the last episode and then we can go back and <clears throat> talk about the show as a whole okay so what I want to start off with right off the bat is to say that especially if, if you listen to my uh, opinions on on the last uh, episode about WandaVision you're gonna know that my expectations got subverted hard um, after episode five, which which was the episode that we talked about last time, and it had the whole even even uh, Evan Peters as Quicksilver revealed or as Pietro revealed, and I was giddy with excitement. I, I felt like this was just a sign of things opening. Oh, they're gonna bring in the Fox uh, uh, universe, X Men universe. Uh, we're pro that's probably gonna lead into uh, uh, the Spider Man uh, No Way Home. That's gonna bring in the other uh, Spider Mans. It, it's just gonna get crazy. We're gonna start seeing X Men. Magneto's gonna show up here somewhere. I bet. Um, none of that happened. None of that uh, came Mul true. Multiverse, right? Multiverse. No multiverse. No, no multiverse. Uh, as of yet. We're still waiting on that. Um, so 
None of that happened. A lot of theories that uh, I read about or I listened to on in YouTube on YouTube that they did not come true. There was no Mephisto. Uh, there was no multiverse. There, none of that came came through. Uh, instead, it was a more focused, I want to say, restrained show about Wanda. Um, Wanda dealing with her grief. And that leading to essentially the origin story of the Scarlet Witch, which, okay, I have to remove my expectations from what I think the writers wanted to, from what I think the story that the writers wanted to tell. And once I do that, I think there's a lot of great things about this show and there's a lot of great moments and it's well paced. But I still have issues with with that last episode. I still felt like the, the episode felt rushed to me. Um, I felt like there was uh, there was a drop. Of, um, uh, they dropped the ball regarding Wanda and whether she is a hero or a villain. I, I don't think. I think they kind of left her off the hook. I uh, thought, yeah, that I thought that was the biggest biff of the show because I agree that there there was a lot of weaker stuff in the second half of the series. A lot of plot points that kind of just went fizzled out went kind of didn't go really anywhere um a lot of the you know the stuff with the uh secondary characters outside of the hex uh kind of just fizzle it just didn't go anywhere i mean it was sort of in reality was to set up this sort of side series which is another one of the baggage things of the mcu there's all this side stuff so 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 putting you know none, none of that kind of panned out as well as i'd hoped none of the the Evan Peters thing, it, it didn't pan out into anything other than kind of a funny little cameo that really didn't yeah. turn into anything. Um, and then, so the the core of it, the Wanda stuff, I thought that was very strong overall. But but I agree, the one weak thing, and the thing that I think biffed it the hardest in the entire show for me, is that they kind of pulled their punches on this whole Wanda's actually kind of the villain of this thing because she's holding this entire town enslaved. <laughs> and and they even talk about, like, you know, they even have her say, are you sure I'm not the villain? And then, yeah. uh, but then the show is like, answers the question, no, you're not. No. <laughs> and and let's make no mistake, what Wanda is doing here to, to the people of Westview is horrific. Um, she's torturing them essentially. Um, there was a scene in, in the final episode where the main "quote unquote" villain of, of the of the show, Agatha Harkness, releases one one of the citizens out of out of the spell, and um, she goes up to the citizen. Her name's Dottie. She goes up to to Wanda and was like. I just want to see my daughter, please. Won't you let me see my daughter? And I'm just like, what the, what the fuck, dude? Like, <laughs> these poor people. What are you doing to them? Um, so that was that was a confusing. Can I ask a quick question? Because I thought that they kind of a few episodes earlier, Vision had unlocked uh, one of his coworkers, and the guy was freaked out, and he relocked him, and then he went home, and didn't he? So he told Wanda what happened, right? Didn't he explain? Yeah. So, so okay. So that, that makes it even more annoying because there were two lines in the final episode that made no goddamn sense. And I feel like they put them in there to just kind of resolve this in a way that was simple and, and like corporate friendly without actually trying to resolve the character point. Which is to say, uh, can, can you remind me what the, the, the new superhero's name is? 
Well, they don't reveal her name, um, oh, like sorry. her moniker. Uh, but in in the comics, she's either gone as um, as Photon, I believe, which is also the character's name is Monica, right? Monica Rambo, yeah, so, yeah. And... But then she, but so, um, so so she says two things, right? So Scarlet Witch is confronting all these people who she who she's been enslaving in the torturous way, and and the these all these people are like. When we dreamt, we felt your nightmares, yeah. <laughs> like horrible stuff. And like, you know, this the show is makes a lot of I think very very interesting, profound points, or at least tells a very interesting story around the ideas of loss, her loss, and projecting that loss outwards in ways that are toxic to other people, but just. But then just pulls its punches at these at these moments yeah. where where she's walking through the crowd and then Monica says at the end where she she gives up just you know spoilers she gives up her children and vision or at least the vision that she's created uh, by closing the hex out um, and Monica says they'll they never know what you sacrificed and I was like what <laughs> yeah like how why do they not know what she sacrificed they've They've all, it very strongly indicated that they were all kind of aware on a certain level. They were hyper aware because they would say like funny little things like, don't kill me. I'm just the messenger. If they were yeah. like the actual messenger, but like they would, they would certainly indicate that they were in some ways they understood that they were under Scarlet Witch's uh, control under uh, Wanda's control. So like it, it just sort of it, it didn't make any sense like they knew exactly what she gave up they knew exactly all about her they knew she controlled this world they knew she had a family and a fake husband and, and that's why she controlled it but so that line didn't make any sense it felt really pushed in there and the other line was it was about oh it, i'm different and i think wanda said this i'm different than the bad guy agnes i'm different than you because so agnes killed a bunch of her coven in order to gain their power right in the past so wanda says i'm different because i didn't mean to do this like i did it by accident yeah. which is an argument but only up until the point where vision told her what was going on and at that point it seems like she should know at some level what's going on i guess the implication is that she just is in denial because then they have the episode the modern family style episode where she's like freaking out and everything's going wrong. So I guess the, the implication is at that point, once vision leaves, she's kind of in denial about what's going on. Cause in the last episode, she's like, no, you're, you're making them say these things, Agnes, they're not really suffering. They were, they were okay. Um, it's, it's a little, it's a muddled, I guess maybe I could rewatch it and see exactly what was going on, but it, it's well, unclear. I no, I mean, I think I think the messaging was was um, was muddled. I, I don't think it was clear. Um, I don't think they went full f for what what they maybe intention um, uh, they initially wanted to do, which is make Wanda somewhat of a sympathetic villain. Um, at the end of the day, like yes, we still have sympathy for her. We we still maybe root for her in some sort of way, but just make her a some sort of of a villain. Um, and and go with it i mean there there's a great message and, and i read this in the washington post that that covered the the season finale and i i agree with the with the overall message of of the article is is that there's there's a good message to say that grief for some people 
can lead them to do monstrous things. Um, it, because it, it's such a powerful emotion um, that it can even lead good people to do bad things. Um, and that would have been a, a, a message that I would have accepted. Um, and it looked that it looked like that was what they were leading towards. And then it, they did forgive her. I mean, that that Monica line seemed just forced in there to to basically sweep everything under the rug and be like, eh, you did some pretty horrible things, but you lost your kids and, and vision, the fake kids and the fake vision that that you created. So you know, you you, you Which, can move again on. that the scene the scene okay, I will say the scene where she said goodbye to her children, her fake children and vision, heart wrenching. Heart wrenching scene. It was yeah, powerful. Really difficult to watch. And she was and it was clearly it, it it was just an amazing scene. And it was so sad. And you understood the you you did sort of understand the sacrifice she was making, but it does not make sense that they, like, on no level would they understand the sacrifice that she's making because they are the victims of her, her crimes. Like, it was just, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. And they could, you're, you're right, they could have, it's one thing to ma make things muddled and it's another thing to inject moral ambiguity. And I, I think the Marvel Universe is actually fine with moral ambiguity. Thought they did a good job of it in Civil War. Uh Right. I think they're good good about uh, moral ambiguity, um, generally speaking. But I, this just struck me as I don't I didn't really understand why they they had to do it this way. And I we're making kind of a bigger point than I think it maybe deserves necessarily. There was other there was plenty of good stuff in the finale too. I thought I thought the you know I maybe I'm just a Marvel fanboy. I enjoyed those battles. I enjoyed the Scarlet Witch battle. Mm -hmm. I thought it was fun. No, okay. I enjoyed no, the vision battle. That's that's actually one of my criticisms. Um, I don't mind it being being a um, you know it, the last episode was the most MCU episode of the bunch, um, and I don't necessarily mind that. I kind of knew that's where we were headed. We're, we weren't always going to keep the premise of of the sitcoms, and it wasn't just always going to be a personal story. These are superheroes at the end of the day with extraordinary powers, and we were going to see a showcase of them. But I actually felt the fights were kind of boring. Um, I, I, you know, a, a lot of the, the Agatha versus Wanda ended up being like, they're just kind of floating in the sky and they're kind of throwing fireballs at each other. It felt kind of Dragon Ball Z-ish. There was the cool moment at the end where it, like, it's revealed that Wanda was missing some of her fireball attacks on purpose so she can cast the runes on, uh, um, in the walls of the hex. And, and that was going to, um, negate Agatha's powers. And then she did a callback of how essentially Agatha taught her that, which that was cool. But, uh, you know, you could have done a lot of cool shit with two witches fighting each other. Uh, I, I, did somewhat enjoy the scene where Wanda does the mind trick on Agatha, the, the same trick that really oh, fucked yeah, up the they, Avengers. They brought, yeah. they brought back her weird freaky walk, which they haven't yeah. had since Age of Ultron. Yeah, like, were... Fast forward walk. Yeah, she really did a number of those Avengers. And here it didn't work. Um, Agatha actually was able to to um, fight back Turn against back that. Yeah. yeah, So that was cool. I wanted to see more of that. I, uh, like just really playful things. The Vision versus White Vision is was interesting. Uh, I you know the, the again the fighting itself I wasn't particularly um, into. Uh, the ship of Theseus conversation of 
you know, what, what, who's the true or what is the true ship of Theseus? A philosophical debate was, was interesting. I had fun with it. Um, it, but it, I did feel like it resolved the issue like really cleanly, like almost instantly. Uh, They gave sort of, they get, I'll say one thing. It was, I was, look, what the idea of two visions floating around in a circle, debating philosophy with one another in a library, just flying around. That's fucking awesome. But, uh, yeah, they did give short shrift to the to the white vision character, even though with his memory restored, apparently vision is back, guys. Like the real vision, not just the yeah. the one that was created from Scarlet Witch. But then he just kind of flies away. And I get it. I get it. They don't have time to deal with even the the threads that they've created. They certainly don't have time to unpack the consequences of bringing, bringing the real vision back at the end of the show. So I understand, but they could have given us like a stinger or maybe had something happen, but he just kind of goes like, Oh, I'm back. And then he flies away and that's it. (laughs) But why would he, uh, assuming he has visions, memories, why would he just not care about Wanda? Like, why would he just leave and and just leave everybody to their own devices? I'm assuming that's going to be explained at at some point in a future movie. Uh, But does this then negate a lot of the message behind WandaVision, which is how do you deal with grief and with loss when you bring the loss back in some way? well, that there was, was a problem. A... That's an MCU problem in general. Is that they yeah. keep bringing the or a comic back. book co- problem? You know, the it comic, is book, comic book resurrection. Is this this is the first like honest to goodness comic book resurrection in the MCU, right? Like, if you don't count the blip and people coming back from the blip, is this like I don't think there's been another resurrection. Um, yeah, that sounds that sounds right. Vision. They did. They did sort of explore the idea of identity, and, and I think Vision as a character says very interesting things about identity. Um, you know, coming from the sort of Mind Stone mixed with Jarvis, mixed with you know the Age of Ultron AI. Um, so going from Jarvis to a, and you know, there's a line in this show that kind of captures that. I don't have it off hand but i think it's it's a very good line and it kind of goes through and says like the idea of identity and they is 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 very fascinating and and you said like well does this sort of negate the sort of arc of the show maybe sort of but the arc of the show was about her coming to terms with the the vision that lived inside of her i guess to, right so it's not the same vision right I mean that that was kind of the point point of the ship of Theseus argument. This vision that she sort of had a life with did not have the memories of the old vision, right? And at least one of the implications, you know, at least one of the possible implications of the final discussion about the ship of Theseus is that they are they're not the same because they have different memories. Um, so you know, I think that 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 is explored in interesting ways and like. Just like the idea of loss and just like the idea of projecting that loss outward. And that's all explored in, in fascinating ways. And and I think, um, you know, I'm glad that the Marvel properties still sort of take uh, take leaps like that or, or, you know, do weird kind of stuff like that, you know. I mean, I, I guess this was not – this was an imperfect execution, but I'm still overall – 
glad that they did it. I don't think the second half of the show lived up to the first half of the show. Um, but on the other hand, I still think it's it's a it's a very good show, and I think that uh, it it, it bears rewatching with like what you subsequently learn and, and seeing if it sort of changes the way you watch it, right? Right. What I mean, what I will say is that expectations aside, um, even though it, it gave me wild thoughts about how this was going to be the opening of the multiverse and we're going to see other cinematic properties being being thrown in here somehow, it's I actually think the writers made the right decision of making this a more con, uh, condensed, uh, essentially an origin story for the Scarlet Witch. Um, I think that allowed them to to have more personal moments, uh, moments with great writing. Um, obviously, there's there's the now very famous line of what is what is grief if not love persevering, um, which is a great line. I, I knew Twitter was gonna was gonna ruin it, but I still think it's a great line in general. There was some great writing, as you mentioned, Daniel. I think I think the line where um, essentially Wanda and Vision are saying goodbye to each other, um, and I think Vision. Vision essentially says, "Like I was a, a, I was a voice without a body. I was a body, but not human. Now I'm a memory made real. Um, who knows what I'll be next?" Uh, and then he says, "We've said goodbye before. It stands to reason we'll say hello again." It's like that's good writing, you know. That that those are like some strong uh, moments. I think the best part of this show was the acting. I think Paul Bettany and Elizabeth Olsen, um, especially, just really just knocked it out of the park. Uh, I think that that will forever be the strongest part of the show. Um, I still think about episode eight, which was the previous episode. That's my favorite episode of the series. Um, and that moment um, where Vision and Wanda, it, it was a flashback where, where they were in the Avengers complex and they were talking to each other and, and Wanda was explaining her grief. There was this moment where Olsen's acting was so believable where she said like, her depression was like waves just hitting her over and over. And sometimes it was it, like, she feels like she was finally able to stand and then the wave hits her again. And she, she says, like she says, I can't and pauses. Like, I think she was going to say, I can't, but she says, I can't, this is going to drown me. And uh, to me, like that hit me so hard. Like when, when she said that, because I believed it and it was her acting that made it so, so believable. And uh, I, I think it may her, her and Bethany, delivered the best acting performances in the MCU so far. Um, and I know it's kind of funny to say this about what is essentially a bunch of superhero movies, but there's a lot of great actors in, in this universe. You know, there's there's uh, Robert Downey Jr., there's Samuel L. Jackson, there's Scarlett Johansson, Mark Ruffalo. You know, there's a ton of great actors. And I think Olsen and Bettany are, at this point, the cream of the crop. I agree. I thought the performances were fantastic. Um, Bethany, I mean, it's it's crazy that guy started as the voice of Jarvis. <laughs> and now he is the star of his own TV show. And damn, I mean, deserves it. Like, he did a fantastic job that, you know, he did he did comedy. He did, he does very serious scenes, I think, very well. Um, and, you know, action and, and plays a, a very interesting superhero. Not, not a typical kind of you know, he's kind of a quiet, sort of a weirdo, sort of a weird Superman, almost. Uh, yeah. It's it's a very interesting superhero. And, and you know, he's 
intellectual and brainy and and bizarre and he's 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 divorced from humanity but he's in a sense sort of the best of humanity in a lot of ways he can sort of see the most in humanity um which you know in some ways is is like superman and and it you know the the i don't know if i mean you guys may remember this but the scene in in age of ultron where he's able to lift thor's hammer yeah you know they don't really explain that right but um you kind of get the impression that vision is sort of pure of heart in a certain way <laughs> where he's like uh yeah he's so worthy he, he is and he's just a fascinating character and i find wanda very fascinating um as a character uh she's lost her entire family three times now uh, which is incredible um, and could is potentially becoming some sort of demon. <laughs> Although let's see if they, how much they pull their punches on that. You know, she kind of started as a villain Scarlet, Witch in the comics goes back and forth. So, so it does not seem like they're headed in that direction based on the way the series ended, but mm-hmm. she was reading the book of the dead. So yeah, she know, was reading the dark hold, which as, as you mentioned, as as Agatha informed us, it's the Book of the Damned. Uh, and she was just like going through those pages, just taking it all in as, as she had like weird spheres all around her. Uh, I, I think the implication uh, is that, well, one, I, I, apparently it was he, she heard her children crying out for help, uh, which maybe implies that they're out there somewhere and she's off to find them, probably in Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. But also, I think it's probably safe to say that she's the most powerful being in the MCU right now. Um, I mean, she already took it to Thanos in in Endgame, and now she looks unbelievably more powerful. She would probably wipe the floor with him now. So um, it's it's interesting. Um, She was able to hold back Vision really no problem in this fight while she was fighting with uh, Agatha. So Yeah, so I think we'll see. We'll see more of that in Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Do you guys know who's directing that movie? It's... Is it Taiko Waititi? No, it's Sam Raimi, uh, the guy that directed oh. uh, Spider-Man, Spider-Man 2, the first three Ooh. Spider-Mans. Oh, it's all coming together. You know, the yeah. multiverse. <laughs> yeah. The multiverse. Uh, so it's happening, baby. I'm back in. Uh, well, I'm still excited. You know, I again, a little disappointed with the ending, but I do agree with you, Daniel. I think it's overall a strong show. I'm glad it was made. Uh, I've never seen a show like it before, um, and I hope it's a good um, I, preview of how the MCU is going to kind of get more creative going forward. I will say I, I did hear some of the weird ways the storylines ended was because of COVID, like Kat Denning's character just completely disappears from the show. <laughs> like she, yeah. I think it shows her from like the side for like two seconds. Yeah, uh, my, my that's that was my guess. It felt like maybe since they had to pause uh, filming and then start it again, maybe there was scheduling conflicts, so they couldn't get everybody in the same uh, studio again. So they had to do these weird cuts, which is unfortunate. Um, again, it, it was a difficult time for. We, we talked about this last episode. It's been a difficult time for movie production and TV production. Um, so eh, maybe there's some some reason for why some of these threads felt a little like really um, rushed to their conclusions. That's it, guys, I think. That's another great episode. Um, WandaVision, uh, I enjoyed it. Uh, look, looking forward to more MCU stuff going forward. Uh, Sam, thank you so much for joining me today. 
Thank you for having me, Gus. Daniel, thank you for joining me. Thanks, Gus. It was a ton of fun. And to our listeners, thank you so much for joining us again this week. And we'll see you next week for another episode of Friendly Reminder.